Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Word Processing. Uh, I'm Andrew here with Josiah. Josiah, good to see you today. Yep, likewise. Good to be here. Uh, Josiah, we got some nice, fun, bright, easy topics to talk about today. You know, self-sacrifice and injustice and forgiveness and all these great, easy topics. Are you excited? What a joy. We're both smiling. (laughs) We are smiling. Well, friends, these are very real issues and and a very real text that we're looking at today, Genesis chapter 44 and 45, and just the exciting, what I would call probably the climax of the Joseph narrative. So if you haven't listened to that message, I encourage you to go ahead and listen to that so you're not confused uh, because we are going to get into these issues today. Josiah, where I want to start is one of the first major points in your message was about the idea of being sacrificial, which is hard to avoid in this narrative. I've heard people say before, yes, we're called to be sacrificial for sure, but we are also aren't called to be doormats and to let people walk all over us. And I'm just wondering, how would you respond to a statement like that? Or more importantly, how do you think God would have us respond to a mentality like that? I think we're to err on the side of doormat living, to be honest. <laughs> I think we are to err on that side. Uh, there's always the risk of being taken advantage of, you know, when mm-hmm. it comes to sending others. That's very real. Always that's a risk. I think our experience, you know, in our world and our flesh, it moves us toward self-protection. That's our default mode. Mm-hmm. But I think we're called to to take that risk in the scripture. Uh, I think that Christ modeled that risk for mm-hmm. us. I think that the Apostle Paul modeled that risk for us. Both endured mistreatment, but for a very distinct purpose. Now, are we called to be undiscerning and, and mm-hmm. unwise and throw ourselves into situations where uh, we'll be repeatedly abused? Uh, absolutely not. You know, in fact, when it's to another believer that we're laying down our preferences, well, according to Ephesians 4, we can expect reciprocation out of another believer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it becomes too taxing, I think Romans 16 gives us permission to cut ties. If it's no longer mutually edifying and Christ-exalting, mm-hmm. then, then get out. Um, I think it's a little trickier with non-believers, to be honest, than it is with believers, um, as they aren't held to the same standard of ethics. You know, They're not indwelled sure. by the Holy Spirit. So if we are pouring ourselves out for non-believers mm-hmm. who start to treat us poorly, there's also a biblical precedent though for pulling away. You know, think of Second Corinthians chapter six, we're warned against not being unequally yoked with unbelievers, mm-hmm. not joined to them. Titus three says to have nothing to do with someone who is causing trouble and once they've been warned. And so if we're in a relationship and we say, hey, this is getting out of control, we can then have nothing to do with them and step away. So we have the biblical precedent to guard ourselves in that way. And all that to say the line between self-sacrifice and seeking out and enduring abuse is very real. And uh, we must be discerning. Mm-hmm. Uh, we must be discerning case by case, prayerfully, you know, with godly counsel, trying to avoid uh, the latter. But the risk of being abused does not void the call to be self-sacrificial. But also the call to be self-sacrificial is not a command to seek and endure abuse. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's right between those two lines we need to uh, prayerfully maneuver. And also, I think, I mean, you're kind of hitting on this as well. I think we don't want to make self-sacrifice the ends in and of itself. We don't want to seek out sacrifice just for the sake of sacrifice. We are not laying down in front of us someone who we know is going to wrong us just for that purpose. You know, anytime that someone within scripture endured 
suffering, it was for a purpose and for a reason. And that is what we are called to do. It's not just to be to be run over, but for the sake of the cause of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ, we are called to give up of ourselves. So moving right from this, this goes right into, I think, the next question that I was going to approach. Um, this is a quote uh, that I have from your message. You said, we are called to live a life of self-sacrifice, laying down our preferences, our authority, our influence, our rights, and even our lives for the sake of the suffering and the vulnerable. Uh, first of all, I just love that you covered such a breadth there of what we are called to give up. But the one I want to I want to pick on today is the idea of the topic of rights and sacrificing our rights, because I think that word has been a buzzword in the media for a long time, but especially right now with everything going on with the virus and things going on in our world, the idea of sacrificing our rights is not a popular one. Why do you think, or why is it, not just why do you think, but why does why is sacrificing our rights for others a key part of the Christian message? And how do we practice that? How do you picture that living out in the world? I think the rights is just part of the bigger picture here. The, the point here is that nothing of myself, nothing of myself is off limits for service to Christ. Nothing. Because of what mm. he did for me, because of what he is doing for me, and because of what he has promised he will do for me. You know, in Romans 1, we're called to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, a spiritual act of worship. He gets my time, my preferences, my energy, my resources, my rights, whatever he wants, he gets it all. He gets it all. Nothing is off limits for God mm -hmm. as I am called to seek to do what he's called me to do, which is to worship him, to pursue personal godliness, to uh, disciple other believers, to bring the gospel to lost people. You know, and that I think that's what Paul meant when he said in 1 Corinthians 9, when he said, I have become all things to all people, that by all possible means I may mm. save some. He's not saying that he's going to become a chameleon or a spy or to become like the world, to win the world. You know, that's not what he's saying there. Right. He's talking about laying down all that he is for the sake of his assignment. And that's our call, including my rights, if need be. You know, I will mm -hmm. bolster those for the sake of what God has called me to do because he has done all that he has done for me. And I, I think my willingness to do this can oftentimes be seen in my willingness to submit my, submit myself uh, to my church family. First of all, that might be even where it's hardest sometimes mm -hmm. you know, to my yeah. brothers and sisters in Christ for the sake of the unity of the body. We all come to church uh, with preferences, with expectations, with needs, with uh, hurts and sensitivities. All of us do. The question I need to ask is, am I willing to understand that our God-given biblically stated goals as a church family are important. And they're so mm -hmm. important, in fact, that I am willing to put all of those personal things on the back burner for the sake of those goals and for the sake of the brethren. Am I willing to do that? Including any perceived rights I might have, rights to privacy, rights to comfort, rights to preferences, rights to whatever. Am I willing to say, you know what? Uh, I'm not saying they don't exist, but I am mm -hmm. saying for a time or indefinitely, I'm willing to shelve those for the sake of someone else, for their preferences, for their needs, for their edification, whatever the case may be. Am I willing to do that? And, and the, for a mature believer, we pray that the answer would be yes. Yeah, it's it's interesting how our own desires and our own preferences and our own things we like can, can get in the way and, and convince us that that is the most important thing. I know even for myself, there's been times in my life where I've been, you know, looking for a church and 
we oftentimes, I think, get this mentality that we need to find the church that suits us best when really what we should be looking for ultimately is the church that is most focused on accomplishing what the role of the church is and the the church that is focused on making those issues non-negotiable no matter our preferences or our desires. Yeah, every local expression of the church will make prayerful decisions on how to accomplish those shared goals, those God-given uh, requirements, those marks of a church uniquely in their contexts. Mm-hmm. And they may not always fit with the preference or the view that I have as an individual Christian. Am I willing to submit myself to the leadership of that, of that church, to the brethren in that church, to whatever? Am I willing to do that, assuming that these are not mission critical issues, that, they, that they're that they not missing, like you said, missing the, the mark on the actual mission of the church? That's a different mm-hmm. conversation. Yeah, but uh, the one that always gets picked on is music styles, right? Am I willing? We all have opinions on that. There isn't a mm-hmm. believer in the church who doesn't have a strong opinion. In fact, I would say people have probably a stronger opinion on the music style than on Christology. You know, mm-hmm. like they, they yep. have strong opinions on that. So, am I willing to holster those to sideline those preferences uh, for the sake of other people? Uh, it's a tough question, um, but that's mm-hmm. what I mean by giving everything of myself, um, self sacrifice. Yep denying myself to to help those around me mm-hmm. yeah what a good a good example like as someone who grew up in a hymns only church and has been a part of music teams in at least four or five different churches now like i can understand and, and appreciate exactly what you're saying yes that is a huge issue for so many people as it should be in some capacity yes it's okay to have preferences and and it's a good idea for us to be evaluating whether or not we are accomplishing our goals and our mission as a church through the music in our church. Absolutely. But it's a, an interesting line to walk between preferences and commandments. Again, hear us well. Preferences are not invalid. Totally. They're not. They, but it is a, a question of my heart. Mm-hmm. Am I willing to lay down those things for the sake of others? Speaking of hearts, um, one of the things that you mentioned here was Judah's famous speech. It's his Judah's self-sacrifice um, speech. And it's largely, as you pointed out, in relation to sparing his father grief. As you said, his father is mentioned, I think, 14 times in this speech. Now, this isn't really a question, but man, can we just acknowledge for a moment the contrast between this and the Judah of chapter 37, who largely caused his father's grief, you know, the one who suggested, let's sell Joseph, the one who dipped the blood and, and brought it back. And in chapter 38 as well, he abandoned his grieving father, and his whole family in the midst of all that. What a contrast we are finally seeing the payoff of. Yeah, it's radical. It's dramatic. And and it can really only be attributed to the grace and power of God. And we know people who have similar stories, maybe not exactly Mm -hmm. like Judah's, but uh, people who have experienced radical changes. And we praise God that none of us is beyond usefulness to him. Mm -hmm. It's just an incredible thing. And I think what I love, you know, given that we've been talking so much on this podcast and just in connection about what the author is doing in the text, this is such an incredible payoff for us to finally be able to, again, as we've talked about before, but to be really confronted with the fact here that everything is included for a reason. And the reason that that chapter 38 is so juxtaposed in there is to help bring about this payoff of understanding the contrast in Judah's life. I don't think this chapter would have had nearly as much oomph to it 
if we didn't see where Judah had come from, if it was just mentioned that the brothers in general suggested that they sell him into slavery, if we didn't hear about his excursions with uh, with Tamar and, and the people of the land. But what makes it so dramatic is seeing that contrast. And I just think what a another moment of just excitement as someone who's trying to study and, and appreciate the biblical text to be able to to revel in that understanding. Now, where I want to kind of lead us now, Josiah, as we kind of move towards the ending of our time, um, we've talked about in this podcast and in your message, of course, sacrificing for the vulnerable. And you talked in the message again about this idea of forgiveness and forgiving those who have wronged us and how that is a very difficult process. And we can talk about forgiveness, but I feel like there's been a lot uh, in many Christian circles talked about forgiveness. So I don't want to spend too much time on that. But I'm wondering, how do we walk the line between standing up as a voice against injustice, you know, a topic that is very prevalent in our world right now, while also on the flip side, being willing to forgive and being willing to relinquish control of justice to the God who will ultimately judge and be the judge of all justice. How do we stand up against injustice while also trusting justice to God? Where is that that line between activism and inactivity? And, and how do we walk that as faithful Bible-believing believers? Yeah, it's a good and very important question. And one I am certain to do an inadequate job of answering in the few minutes we have. Yeah, there's a reason I passed it over to you. Yeah, I was about to turn it back around on you. Yeah. yeah. We need to start by avoiding the creation of a false dilemma here in our minds. Mm-hmm. And I know you're not doing that, but I think we have a tendency to slip in that direction. So we need to discipline ourselves not to pit these two things against one another and ignore a lot of gray area between the two. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't have to choose between these two things. That is so important because I think that is the way it's presented in our in our culture and even in the culture of the church right now is that it is either or. Either you are an activist or an inactivist. Right. And I, in fact, we could say we need, we're called to do both of those things. So we, we don't mm-hmm. choose. Um, it's really the same if you think about our growth and godliness, you know, do I trust the power of the Holy Spirit in my life to finish the work that he began in me? Philippians chapter one, verse six, or do I work out my salvation with fear and trembling? Philippians chapter two, verse 12. You know, it's the mm-hmm. same author, same book. Do I have to choose between these two things? Well, obviously not. Obviously I need mm-hmm. to do both. You no, know, mm-hmm. I trust God with my sanctification and I strive for godliness at the same time. I don't have to choose between those two things. And so mm-hmm. likewise with justice. There's a similarity here. You know, we're called to trust God with justice ultimately. And it's out of the soil of that well-founded trust that we can then stand up for the justice as God has defined it. You know, it's mm-hmm. out of that confidence that he will be vindicated, that he will judge, that we can then in the meantime defend justice. Um, so it's not either or, it's actually both working in concert together. Hmm. Now, this conversation can seem different depending on the scope of the injustice that we're seeing. And so, for, sure. for example, if we're dealing with personal injustice, things that were done wrong against me, that's one mm-hmm. thing. This is where forgiveness mm-hmm. comes in. You know, right. I, I'm called to forgive. I'm called to seek reconciliation. I'm called to trust God, to speak truth, to call for repentance, etc. especially if it's a, another believer who has wronged me. Mm-hmm. Um, there are very specific things I'm called to do by God, but it's all rooted in how God in Christ forgave me, Colossians 3.13, which we looked at on Sunday. So because I've been forgiven, I can then Mm -hmm. extend forgiveness. 
not allowing myself to live in the prison of, of unforgiveness. I can do that. And I think it's really important too, just to, to point out here, connect back to that very first topic we talked about, which is that extending forgiveness to someone also does not necessarily mean stepping back into a realm of repeated abuse. Yeah. Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. Mm-hmm. Topic for another day. Yeah. <laughs> but when we broaden the scope you know, of injustice, when we're talking about societal injustice, for example, which we're mm-hmm. seeing a lot of at the moment, mm-hmm. I think that's a little different. You know, mm-hmm. Because for one, the injustice may not have been done to me at all. I'm witnessing it, but it hasn't been done to me. Therefore, I can't offer forgiveness. But that doesn't mean I don't have an obligation to call sin, sin when I see it. And, and if I'm able, and I prayerfully believe it's beneficial, I can actually step in and speak truth and call for repentance if they're believers and offer help. I can do those things. Mm-hmm. But here, I think we need to say something about the purpose of the church and the purpose of the Christian in this world today. Because I think many are confused as to the believer's role in social, societal Uh, justice and injustice. Should we be concerned about issues of injustice? Yes. Absolutely. Should I, as a Christian, do something about it? Perhaps, you know, that might be a good thing to do. Is that the church's main mission in this world? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Instead, issues of social justice are are beautiful byproducts of our main mission as a church. Mm -hmm. It happens naturally as we do what God has called us to do. What are we called to do? What is our mission as a church? Well, the church is to worship God. We are to disciple Christians and we we are to evangelize the lost. That is our three-pronged assignment from God that we Mm -hmm. are are given. As we do those three things, the way God has called us to do them, the members of the church will inevitably grow in concern for the vulnerable and the Mm -hmm. hurting and the exploited. As we know the God we worship better and better, as we become more like his son, we will hurt for the things that he dislikes, that he hates in this world. That's just an inevitable, beautiful byproduct of it. Mm -hmm. Many today, I think, confuse the church gathered and the church scattered. We we confuse those two things a little bit. And the roles of them specifically. Yes. And the roles. Yes. We understand that the church gathers at times and it doesn't gather at other times, but how the church exists in those two realities. Mm -hmm. Um, what we do as a gathered body should primarily be about worship and discipleship Mm -hmm. because that's where believers are. You know, we worship together as believers, we disciple other believers, but what we do when we scatter into the world, when we leave and go into our classrooms, into our workplaces, into our homes, when we scatter into the world should primarily be about witness Mm -hmm. because we're amongst unbelievers. We're not going to be worshiping. We're not going to be discipling necessarily. We're going to be evangelizing. We're going to be witness Mm -hmm. for God. And part of being a faithful witness to Christ is perhaps bringing aid to uh, the people that need it. That might be mm-hmm. part of it, but always with an eye to their greatest need and our main message, which is salvation through faith in Christ. Absolutely. So social justice is not an end itself. We need to understand that. It's not to say that we can't help people without sharing the gospel. Certainly we can. It's more about our heart priorities. Yeah. Which is coming first? How Through which lens am I seeing my call as a Christian? I know for a fact that many, many, many Christians replace the clear command in Scripture to share the gospel with unbelievers with the far, far, far easier task of meeting a physical need. Mm-hmm. 
that they'll do that instead and think that it's a it's a valid replacement. Oh, we it's all have not, at times, I think, right? <laughs> for sure. I feel that it's it's easier to do the latter than the former. Yep. There's yep. immediate gratification. There's little chance that they're going to reject my extending a, a helping hand. Yeah. <laughs> they will certainly extend. Uh, there's certainly a chance that they'll reject my offer of the gospel, right? For sure. And so it, it's not that the latter is bad, you know, helping people physically. It's not. It's godly. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. But the former giving the gospel is eternally better. Yes. Yeah, we just need to be very clear with uh, what we're what we're called to do and what we need to do. Uh, and I think a lot of this is rooted in and propagated by what I believe to be unfortunate Bible reading. You know, we mm-hmm. are not called as a church to usher in the kingdom of God. Yep. We are not called to solve every social problem in this world. Christ isn't waiting for us to clean things up so that he can return finally. Mm -hmm. Oh, they finally got their act together. Now I can come back. No, no. He'll return regardless. Mm -hmm. And when he does, he will set up his literal earthly kingdom, a perfect theocracy ruled by a perfect king doling out perfect justice. And we long for that. We say, come Lord Jesus, come. And when we see injustice, not only do we stand up because we are God's image bearers and we ache for the things that that hurt him, his heart as well, and we call it out, call sin, sin, but we also see it as evidence that we're living in a broken world and need our king to come. Mm-hmm. And so we instead are called to spread the good news of eternal life under that inevitable and ideal monarchy you know, that's mm-hmm. available through faith in Christ. That's our mandate. And as we worship him, as we grow in our knowledge and likeness of him by his grace and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will inevitably, inevitably care about the things he cares about, including Mm -hmm. the suffering and including the vulnerable. That's just how Mm -hmm. it goes. And so again, it's not a false dilemma. We want to be careful. It's not one against the other. I can entrust true justice to the just one, knowing that he cares more than I do, uh, that he sees all, that he knows all, and that he's coming to reveal all and judge all. You know, I can, I can rest in that. And in the hope of those realities, as I look forward to those, and in the light of my growing passion to see more people know him and to hope in those things as well, I can seek justice in this world as well. Okay, mm-hmm. So they don't work against each other. They work in perfect concert when we have our priorities as the Bible gives us our priorities. Mm-hmm. That was a yeah. long, long answer. <laughs> but an important one nonetheless, I believe. Because I think, yeah, I think we can get confused and where my head is going now, and maybe this is irrelevant or not as, as connected, but, you know, we have that classic example of, of Paul when he talks about the idea that we, we shouldn't want to sin more just be, so that grace can abound. We shouldn't, you know, use grace as an excuse to sin. And I think that that idea, I guess, connects in my head right now, at least to the idea of our activism in, in the world and how we do things in the world that, you know, just because we are not going to solve the problem doesn't mean we shouldn't be as followers of Jesus interested in playing a part in making the world better. However, it is not our goal or our um, our command or ultimately even within our hands to succeed in bringing about the new creation that will come someday. And so again, I think you're right. It's both and that we should, because we are, we, we love God and we love his creation, we should want to be people who appreciate and respect other people and his creation. And yet we are not the ones who are going to solve the problem. And I think maybe, again, maybe that's off track a little bit, but I think it's in my head, at least right now, it's related in some way, shape or form. (laughs) Does our God care about our needs? Does he care about 
racism and poverty and injustice? Does he care about those things? Of course he does. The Bible is replete with examples of that. In fact, he so cares about our needs that our greatest need, he sent his son, his one and only son to die for us to meet that need. He cares about the needs. And so as God's people, as we by his power become more like him and have the mind of Christ, how can we too not care about those things? Mm -hmm. But we need to understand that people's greatest need is not hunger. Mm-hmm. We can meet that and we should meet that. We should care about those things, but that's not the greatest need. The mm-hmm. greatest need is eternal separation from their loving and holy God. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I don't want to pit these two things against one another. And I think no, it's, because too often, it's too often discussed in that manner where it's mm-hmm. either you're all in for social justice or you hate the gospel. You know, yeah. it, and, you know it's just, it's ridiculous. There is middle ground there, um, a biblical middle ground, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ultimately, I heard it. I heard it said recently that ultimately, at the end of the day, poverty, racism, injustice, the virus—all of these different things—these are a sin issue. They are a result of sin and fallenness in our broken world. And the only solution to those problems is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, and I think that is what we need to keep our eyes on. It doesn't mean we are not engaged in other discussions or other active roles, but it means that is our priority and that is what we keep our eyes on for the purpose of accomplishing what he has commanded us to accomplish. And we labor now and we pray now with the hope that one day it will all be eradicated. Mm -hmm. That one day the trump will sound and the Mm -hmm. Lord will descend And he will take care of all of this. And so we pray as God's people, come Lord Jesus. We will labor in the meantime for your glory and in your power. But come Lord Jesus and fix this. Fix your world. Because I can't do it and we can't do it. That is the groaning of the heart of every believer. Um, Both now when we see the injustice around us and the hurting and the vulnerable, but also we groan for it to finally be eradicated as Christ comes and sets up his kingdom. I can't think of a better place to to end today's podcast because I'm sure there is so much more that we could say about this. This is a massive topic, as you said, that is easy to to mess up or to to do injustice to the topic in and of itself. And I hope we haven't done that today. And friends, if you have more to discuss on this topic, don't be afraid to give us a phone call or an email. We'd love to hear from you. And again, as always, thank you for listening. We love you. We're praying for you and uh, have a great week. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.